but we're expanding. We're expanding on these very small number of very significant goals. And we've said right from word go that the last 131 years of our history, of his story, has been preparing us for the next five years. So what are we learning? Do you remember? What are we growing in? Here is a reminder of our three goals. We're going to grow Here we go. We're going to grow in hope, we're looking to grow invitations, and we're looking to grow in mercy. And today, last week, we looked at growing hope, a thousand stories, remember that? A thousand stories of hope and transformation that we'd love to see a thousand people here regularly each and every Sunday by the year 2020. But we also are collecting stories of hope and transformation uh, as of a couple of weeks ago, not four or five years ago, but a couple of weeks ago. And so if you have some of those stories, get them to us any which way you know how. So this goal today, goal number two is growing invitations. Well, I'm going to help answer the question, why? Why would we go for such a goal as this, of growing invitations? Why growing invitations? Because when we invite others, it's good for them and it's good for us. How is it good for them? Well, it's good for others because it actually introduces them to Jesus. It introduces them to what we call here at Door of Hope, a hope pathway, becoming a friend of Door of Hope to becoming a friend of Jesus, to being Jesus-centered and others-focused. And it's good for us because it actually reaffirms, does it not? It reaffirms and declares our commitment to Jesus who loved and rescued us. And so this is how, this is how we're going to go about this goal. Because as I mentioned last week, our, uh, my friend John Maxwell, or mentor from a distance, he said that uh, uh, vision without strategy is just wishful thinking. Vision without strategy is just wishful thinking. And we don't want to have a vision and just kind of wish it's going to happen. No, we're actually going to do something about it. We're going to help build what God said He would build, and that's His church, right? And so this is how we're going to measure this particular goal. And it goes like this, that our vision is for every single one of us to invite at least one other person to church each week. And that would mean 500 personal invitations per week, which could equal, by the way, which could equal 21st time attenders per week. Some more information about this is uh, available to you on our website. We gave this handout out to you last Sunday, but also from Hope Central as well. I just want to press pause there and say clearly to you that I'm working this out with you because invitations in our culture aren't necessarily easy simply because of the culture we live in. But what an awesome opportunity we have. Because of this culture we live in, you and I know that we still live in a fragile and uncertain world. And there is so much hopelessness out there. I don't know about you, but this last week for me, I have experienced hopelessness again and again and again. People sharing their stories with me. And by the way, I want you to know that because I'm standing up here and I'm sharing this with you, that I'm in this with you. And so because of this, I want to let you know just a couple of quick things before I go any further. And it's this. I was sharing um, during the week that I had an opportunity to invite, and I thought about it later on, that I, I missed that opportunity to invite this last week. You know, I was sharing my story and just sharing what I do and sharing what the church gets up to. And because of this goal, 
It's empowering me, empowering us, hopefully, to really think about every single conversation that we're having and an open opportunity for people to come. I want to let you know that I missed that opportunity this week. I was a bit down on myself, and I thought, well, at least I think I'm kind of getting it more and more, right? And then last night, I was out and about and uh, had an opportunity once again just to share a little bit about who I am and what I do. And then right at the end of the night, just before I left, you know, uh, I said, you know, it was nice to meet you and have a great time and have a great weekend and that. And I said, oh, by the way, tomorrow you're invited, 10 o'clock and 5 o'clock. And so I took that opportunity. So I want you to know there's a bit of hit and miss going on in my life at the moment, but I'm planning on getting better at that. Let's move on because the next thing I want to share with you, because it's not easy in our culture, but of course we've heard some stories this morning that it is possible and the Holy Spirit in the midst of all of that is doing His work. So this goal will require a change in our thinking, where we are prepared to invite anyone we meet and anybody we have connection with to be a part of Door of Hope and that hope pathway, and ultimately find the hope and transformation in Jesus that many of us have found. And many of us are finding, by the way. Not all of us have found Him here this morning. We're on that hope pathway, and that's fine. So, to inspire us this morning, we're going to open the Scripture. And if you have your Bibles here, feel free to do that. You might have your smartphones and things like that and your journals. Feel free to open, because this morning, we're going to help with this idea of growing invitations. We're going to look at the role of the church through the lens of Acts chapter 13 this morning. Is that okay? Let's open our Bibles to Acts 13. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have that this morning, and that's fine. That details the, the miracle at the Pisidian Antioch in what that means for us as we march towards, onwards, towards 2020 vision. Here it is. This is Acts 13, Pisidian Antioch. It's a major Roman colony that was visited by Paul and Barnabas on his first missionary trip. So, Paul and Barnabas, here they, they rock up in life. They're ready to go in and through the power of the Holy Spirit. Hang in there for a moment. They're willing to go. They're willing to go. They're willing to leave the comforts of their own life, and they're on this mission. They're sent out in the Spirit's power, and they find themselves in this place of Pisidian Antioch, and they show up to a service at a synagogue where there's probably no more than 200 people who are gathered. And as they make their way inside to the synagogue, there's this serving group people there who are welcoming people. And the hosts realize that these, these guys are probably new. And because of that, they strike up this conversation with Paul and Barnabas. And they, so they ask them a couple of questions. The first question they possibly ask would be, are you new here? And they both say, well, we are. They say, well, what's your names? They say, well, I'm Paul and I'm Barnabas. Well, where are you from? And they say, well, we're actually just traveling through. And so I kind of imagine, if you look at Acts chapter 13, I kind of imagine that this conversation would start to continue to unfold and the questions would continue like this. Well, have you ever been to a synagogue before? Do you study the Torah? Could you imagine Paul saying, well, I do and I have been. In fact, I used to study with the rabbi called Gaia Gaia could you imagine the serving host saying, you studied with, with who? You, you actually studied with the Gamaliel? He was actually one of the best of the best of the best rabbis. And you, Paul, you, you studied under and with him? 
I imagine the host going straight to the leaders of the synagogue that particular day saying, we don't have just any guest with us today. We have somebody who studied with the Gamaliel. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, in the middle of the service, the leaders of the synagogue in that day see Paul and Barnabas seated right there. And the leader says this in verse 14 and 15 of Acts chapter 13. On the Sabbath, they went to the meeting place and they took their places. After the reading of the scriptures, God's law and the prophets, the president of the meeting asked them, friends, do you have anything you want to say? A word of encouragement, perhaps. And so I want you to know this, that this is similar, or kind of equivalent to Billy Graham showing up here to Door of Hope unannounced. And so our hosts who do a wonderful job each and every Sunday welcoming and serving you, and so Billy Graham rocks up and they welcome him and they show him to a seat here. And before I get up to speak, the host comes down to the front and whispers in my ear that Billy Graham is sitting in our congregation today. Hmm. Now, of course, it would, be my, uh, it would be responsible and also respectable thing for me to step aside and to say to Billy, Billy, do you have something to share with our people here today. Now, I'm sure for those who have followed Billy over many, many years, in his humility, he would say, no, it's fine. But this is Paul. This is Paul. This is Paul that's sitting here that the leaders are inviting. You know what Paul does? He says, you bet. You bet. You bet. He says, so he, so he gets up. He gets up and he begins giving a history lesson, can you believe it? Telling of the profound moves of God through ordinary people in the Old Testament. And the people as they're hearing Paul speak from the stage are loving what they're hearing. The story unfolds in Acts chapter 13 and it goes like this. And we're here today, he says, bringing you good news the message that what God promised the fathers has come true for the children, for us. We keep going, thank you. Thank you. I, I want you to know, my very dear friends, that it is on, the, on account of this resurrected Jesus, they, they hadn't heard this before, on this account of the resurrected Jesus, that the forgiveness of your sins can be promised. He accomplishes in those who believe everything that the law of Moses could never make good on. But everyone who believes in this raised up Jesus is declared good and right and whole before God. Declared what? Good and right, and whole before God. You know, people were striving up into this moment. People were attempting and pushing and buying and do, doing so much to be considered good, to be considered right, and to be considered whole. And Paul knew that these people that he was speaking to over their lives, that he was being invited into, that these people were working so hard to earn their position and he delivers this message that they'd never heard of before and by believing in Christ, believing what? 
his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that you could be made what? Good, right, and whole before God. I wonder this morning, do you remember? You may not have this memory yet, by the way. But do you remember, for those of us who do, do you remember for the first time for you when that truth, when that gift of grace, that light, that moment in your life began to really sink in that you could be made good, right, and whole before God. When Paul finishes this particular message, the the people, the people are kind of taken back. They're absolutely stunned by what they're hearing because they've never heard, remember. They've never heard anything like this before. All of a sudden, this is a game changer. Something's been switched on in their lives. And so because of this, they, it causes them to actually ask more and more questions. They seek clarity. And so Paul is invited to speak uh, in the, the following weekend. And guess what he says? You bet. You bet. Seven days later, Scripture says, it goes on in verse 44, it says, on the next Sabbath, almost the, the what? The whole city. Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Now, scholars say there was a population at the time in this area of around about 50,000 people. Uh, the Jewish synagogue, for those who know a little bit of the history here, would fit around about, about 200 people. And so in one week, in one week, in the space of one week, they rallied almost, almost, an entire city of Pisidian Antioch to come to, the foot, uh, to, to church. To come to church, not the football. To come to church. Now, okay, mathematicians in the place, for 200 people to reach 50,000 people, come on, mathematicians, each person would have to have invited 250 people each. For 200 people, they were inviting 200 people each. What would cause these people to be so radically invitational across a city of 50,000 people that the word would get out so radically quick, so radically fast? What would compel them? They were compelled by what? What the football scores were saying? Eh. They were compelled by what Christ's love had done for them and in them that they were made good, right, and whole. And having this spirit-led urgency that caused that emergency to reach the city, that they became bold because of, they were made good, right, and whole. Let's go back to the story just for a moment because when all the people, they begin to show up, there were clear signs that they weren't actually going to fit in to the synagogue that day. And so what do they do? They move the people to the largest venue in the city. They move them to Aurora, no, sorry. They, they move them to the amphitheater. They move them to the amphitheater. Could you imagine the excitement, <laughs> the energy? Could you imagine the surprise of just how a small part of the city had now pushed the church fully into the public setter? Because they knew that the world is at its best when the church is at its best. 
And all of a sudden, this little church, this little church is now having this conversation with people in a city and they're wrestling with these conversations. And they're actually become relevant in the eyes of their city. Now, not everyone, by the way, not everyone was happy with what was happening. All these invited guests were showing up. The story goes on in Acts chapter 13. You can read it for yourself in verse 45 where it says this. Some of the Jews, seeing the crowds, went wild with what? With jealousy and tore into Paul, contradicting everything he was saying, making an ugly scene. Jealousy is a real evil thing. You could imagine, if you, if you could just for a moment, as they were filing into the synagogue, synagogue and as they took their seats, the leaders of the time weren't that happy with what was going on here. That's where I sit. What are you doing here? Why don't you go somewhere else here? You move on somewhere else. You don't actually belong here. And as the crowds came in, I could imagine that that furious frustration that were overwhelming the leaders in this particular part of his, his story. Let me just press pause on that particular story for a moment. We'll come back because I just want to say this. Every Christmas, every Christmas here at Door of Hope, we invite a large group of people who wouldn't normally be with us to join us for a Sunday service and to receive a hamper to receive a hamper of love, with a high percentage of those in attendance being unchurched people, where coming to Door of Hope is often their first experience ever stepping foot inside a church. Could you imagine if we started to rise up like the leaders of that time? And I'm so glad that we're not like that. But if we were to say, oh, wait on, that's my seat. That those people are sitting where I normally sit. Why are they even here? Why won't they go to another church? And once again, I want to say to you here this morning, I'm so glad. I'm so glad we're not a church like that because I'm glad that we're fired up, are we not? We are fired up to see people from all walks of life walk through these doors of hope and ultimately experience the hope and the transformation that we are talking about. But these people... What we're talking about, back to the story, these religious leaders could not celebrate, so they cursed in anger, the Bible says. They cursed in anger at every word that Paul spoke. And you can always tell overly religious people, can't you? Because they don't celebrate growth. They don't celebrate what God is doing and what His Holy Spirit, they're trying to control things. And they've turned the story to be solely about them. But you can't stop the good news. It's unstoppable news because he's an unstoppable God. The scripture goes on in this story in verse 49 to 52 and it ends like this. And this message of salvation spread like what? A wildfire. Have you ever seen that on the TV? Maybe you've been a part of something like that. A wildfire. This message spread like a wildfire all through the region. Some of the Jews convinced the most respected women and leading men of the town that their precious way of life was about to be destroyed. Alarmed, they turned on Paul and Barnabas and forced them to leave. Paul and Barnabas shrugged their shoulders, 
what they do? They kept going. They, they didn't give up. They went on to the next town. Remember what I said last week? What does no stand for? Next opportunity. I possibly got a no last night. Unless you're here today, welcome. It's great to have you. Next opportunity. I won't give up. Paul and Barnabas shrugged their shoulders. They went on to the next town. Iconium? <laughs> Bringing with joy and the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I love this. What? Two happy disciples. They've been kicked out of town. They've come in, caused up a wildfire. They've moved on to the next town. I've been asking two questions. There's a couple of questions here, and it goes like this. What stops us? from having an only God growing hope, growing invitations, growing mercy experience like what took place in Pisidian Antioch? What stops us from being so compelled as these four young men, five who wasn't here today, of course, as Beck and Jake, so compelled by Christ's love and inspired by the Spirit's urgency to invite anybody and everybody. What stops us? And I've been wrestling and praying with a couple of these, these couple of questions. And I recently came across something that I want to run past you this morning that might help us answer these couple of questions. And what it might look for us when it comes to growing invitations and how we could actually move from being just aware of this value and to actually being an owner of growing invitations. So five movements, just very quickly here this morning as I finish this up. Five movements of an invitational life. It goes like this. First of all, you become aware. Then you start to ponder and wrestle. It becomes a value. Then it becomes a priority. And then you become an owner. See where you start? You become by being aware. And at the end, you move to that of being an owner. First of all, can I speak into the first one? That you are, you've become aware of the invitational life that is. You've become aware of the invitational life. It's only when you become aware of the invitation that you have received, this amazing gift of grace that you have been given, that it actually moves you to share the invitation in a real and relevant way. Because if this isn't a value that we own, it's kind of easy to push to the side and let somebody else we think has, is more gifted or is a pastor or has the gift of evangelism to let them go and do it because I'm not that kind of person. I, I don't share in that kind of way. But as you start to become aware, then you start to ponder. You start to wrestle and you start to realize, wait on, this is not just a pastor's responsibility. This is not just somebody who's got the gift of that kind of, he's got the gift of that. No, this is actually everyone's, including mine. This is everyone's responsibility to grow invitations. Now, once you become aware, once you become aware, you start to ponder and you start to wrestle with that. It becomes a value. And once it becomes a value, it then becomes a priority. And this means I start to rearrange my time. I start to rearrange my energy and my talents and my resources to go 
and to engage with people and share the invitation the way that I've been invited into myself, whether that was by somebody, but ultimately it's been invited by Him through the power of the Holy Spirit. And often there's a large gap. If you look here for a moment, the largest gap we have is between value and priority. It's a value but we haven't really made this invitational life a priority. But once we make it a priority, we then become an owner. Because as owners, every decision I make will have this value of being invitational in mind. So here's what I want to do with the remaining time that we have left. I want us to take an internal invitational assessment an internal invitational assessment to determine whether this is a value or whether or not you've actually become an owner. So keep these things in mind as I walk through. Just very quickly, the first thing is this. Let's go to the next slide if we could. It goes like this. You hold the value of inviting people, but emotions like insecurity, fear, discouragement and indifference speak louder than a value. So you know when you go to make that invitation, it kind of becomes a little awkward and all you want to do is just kind of get out of there and run? I don't know if I'm the only one who's kind of experienced anything like that, but often you do. This is where you hold the value, but truly those negative emotions that start to turn up in your life are actually speaking louder and greater than the value is. So the first one is this. Do you hold? Can we go back just for a moment? Can we just go back for a moment, please? You hold the value of inviting people, but emotions like insecurity, fear, discouragement, and indifference speak louder than the value. Let's go to the second one. Maybe you're in this category. That you hold the value of inviting people, but you choose to focus your invitations around a couple of events per year, and Easter or Christmas or Mother's Day or Father's Day. And this is driven more from a place of should than a desire to. I wonder if that's you. Just take that internal assessment just for a moment. Or, or maybe you're in this third category, that you hold the value of inviting people. You've overcome those emotions of fear. You invite to key events throughout the year, and you actually know healthy next steps along the hope pathway. For example, our Alpha is a great first step. The marriage course, or to church, or search for life, or the global leadership summit, you're inviting people along the hope pathway. But this is becoming more of a priority to you now, which is driven by what you believe could possibly happen. And so what's happening here in your life is that you've closed the gap. You've closed the gap, and you're becoming an owner. Which brings me to the next point, and it's this, that you hold the value of inviting people but you see inviting people as a very strategic matter. And so, this person, in a way, has experienced some wins along life's pathway. But you're only honing in on just a few people, a handful of people or so. You pray for them often, but all you can focus on is just these few people. You've closed the gap, but I want to ask you the question that I asked last week, is how wide is your everyone? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, will be saved. I want to ask that category this morning. How wide is your everyone? Hmm. The fifth and final one here this morning is this. Maybe you're, you are the owner of the invitational life, where your whole life, 
is driven to see lives filled with hope and transformation. That you actually live out what we're talking about today, this invitational life. You're all about growing invitations. And this life isn't a should, but this life is a response to the amazing gift of grace that you have been given. And you're constantly begging God for opportunities to look for good and look for need, to ask people, to ask questions, to do a bit of life with, to share your story, to share their story, to meet people with where they're at and to invite people into something far bigger, maybe along the hope pathway. And maybe you are an owner. I want to ask you the question as you reflect on those five areas of, of invitational assessment. I want to ask you this question. Where are you on the invitational assessment today? Maybe there's room, a bit like me, as I shared with you openly and honestly here this morning. I'm on this journey alongside with you. And together in community, I believe you can encourage me in this as I hope I, we, can be an encouragement to each other. And I want to say this, that in this new era of our church, what I'm talking about when I say that is, is this 2020 vision that we believe for such a time as this, that God is giving to us this opportunity. Could I get you to imagine, could you imagine if our church was filled with owners? Imagine. Don't you want to believe that the miracle of Pisidian Antioch could actually happen today? in our church, in our time, and that we could look back and go, wow, do you remember those days? Do you remember those times that we actually dreamed and we said, could you imagine? But this will not happen. This will not happen if an invitational life stays just a value. Because as I said, it will require all of us leaning into our own hope story, overcoming fear, and be willing to step out, to be sent in the power of the Holy Spirit, just as Paul and Barnabas were. They stepped out. They were happy little disciples, weren't they? Remember that? They were happy little disciples. They did what they were called to do. They got some knockbacks. Some of the most religious of people, by the way. And I want to say this, because this, if you are not willing to step out, the truth is that we just like those people. We just like the leaders in Pisidian Antioch who didn't want to grow hope, who didn't want to grow invitations. They wanted to keep their faith privatized and keep their influence all to their little self in spite of what they felt they could control. But Paul and Barnabas knew that they served an unstoppable God. And this unstoppable God was about to, to do something significant. Wildfire. Can you see it? See it. He was an unstoppable God, and He still is. But it all begins with us wrestling with this value by closing the gap to becoming an owner. And secondly, it demands us to focus on the faces and the places that God is sending us to. So I have some homework for you this week. It's nothing intense, by the way. I have some homework, and it goes like this. It's first of all, to ask God for specific faces and places. We did a little bit of that last week in regards to the faces. But places where God wants you and I to live this invitational life out. And I want you to write down, as we did last week, we won't do it here today, but maybe in your 20 minutes this week, in your chair, Daily Hope, 20 minutes in the chair, that you could write some places down that where you are to go. To go. And then pray boldly. 
to pray boldly into those spaces, for those spaces, and to those places you go. But I want to remind us once again that you and I, we've been invited to this banquet, and He knows the kind of celebration the van that's playing, the food that's going to be there, into this banquet, I'm asking you, who will you share this invitation to, to get past the insecurity, get past the fear? I want to finish by saying this. I want to show you a clip to finish my talk off with this morning. I'm going to stretch this just a little bit more, if I could, just for a moment. Because I started this series a couple of weeks ago, and I started today's talk where I said this, that this last 131 years has been setting us up for the next five years. But you and I know there's going to be more if he doesn't return within those next five years. There will be more time, of course, that's going to unfold. So I've asked the question, what's beyond 2020? Can we really think that way for a moment? Now, none of us do know what's beyond that 2020, our Father in heaven, He is already there. And this hasn't stopped us dreaming in regards to that. So this, these next few moments, as I said, I'm going to stretch you, going to stretch you. And what I mean by that, let's go to the year 2050. If you could imagine just one somebody right now who's writing to us from the year 2050. 